0: back to Yas Queen's A History Podcast. We're continuing with the story of Eleanor of Aquitaine from our last episode. If you haven't listened to our first Eleanor of Aquitaine episode, I highly recommend doing that now, although I will give a quick summary. Eleanor was the heir to the Duke of Aquitaine and first married the French Dauphine who would become king within a week of their wedding. Louis and Eleanor did not have a successful marriage. Louis sort of tried, Eleanor tried less. They had two daughters that she left behind. Louis and Eleanor had their marriage annulled and Eleanor then immediately married his rival Henry FitzEmpress aka Henry II who then became king of England after the death of King Stephen. Henry and Eleanor initially had a happier marriage and Eleanor popped out 8 to 9 kids and arguably too many sons. Our last episode ended with the sons primarily the eldest Henry the Young King starting to become frustrated with the lack of power they were being given as they came into adulthood. Now, before we start talking about the boys, there is one important part of Henry's earlier reign that I left out of the last episode. It didn't really come up because I was thinking about this more through the lens of it being Eleanor's story, of course, Um, and this particular event is more of a Henry thing, but it is one of the more famous events of Henry's reign um, and elements of it carry over into his children's lives as well. Uh, So I guess I should talk about it briefly. As always, this podcast is a social history focused around the relationship dynamics of our queens. Church history especially is complicated and confusing to me, so I'm going to avoid talking about it as much as possible, but we're going to dip our toes into it with the brief side story of Thomas Beckett. Thomas Beckett rose in Henry II's court, serving for years as his chancellor. He was very effective at this job and became someone that Henry trusted wholeheartedly. Beckett was 15 years older than Henry, and I feel like we can call him a cool but wise older brother type character, or maybe a young uncle type in Henry's life. One reason why I left Beckett out of part one is that history did not really record what Eleanor thought of Henry and Beckett's friendship, and their later interactions were driven pretty much entirely by Henry. Uh, Most likely, Eleanor was not a huge fan of Beckett since he undermined her influence with Henry, although not necessarily intentionally. We don't have records of Beckett saying he didn't trust Eleanor, that she was a nasty woman, nothing like that. Um, Henry just relied on Beckett more. It wasn't like Beckett was out to get Eleanor. Uh, When Henry went abroad, it became Beckett rather than Eleanor, who would receive important visitors to England. Empress Matilda, on the other hand, for sure was not a fan of Beckett and had no qualms about letting her opinion be known. Beckett is the one topic on which Henry would ignore his mother's advice. As we'll see, he probably should have listened to Matilda. So Beckett and Henry are the best of friends. Beckett is kind of the straight man to Henry's comedian. At one point, they came across a beggar on the road. Henry commented that the man looked cold and like he could use a cloak, and then snatched Beckett's to give to the man. With some of the stories about Henry and Beckett's time together, it seems more to me like Henry thought he was funny more than... This is more like Henry thought he was funny, more so than he actually was. Beckett, being smart, just had to go along with the king's alleged jokes. As proof of how close the two men were and how much Henry trusted Beckett, he sent young Henry to live in Beckett's household for a time. Being entrusted with the heir to the throne was obviously a huge honor, and Henry would have thought long and hard about who he wanted his son and heir to look up to and be influenced by. Beckett and Henry are the best of friends, until they're not. The Archbishop of Canterbury dies, and Henry wants Beckett to fill the spot. Beckett is not a fan of the idea and repeatedly requests that Henry not do this, but Henry does it anyways. Honestly, I still don't entirely understand why Beckett was so reluctant to take the job. I've read plenty on what events happened because of their conflict, but not why the conflict began. Um, again, I want this to be a side story, not a focus. This is about Eleanor, so we'll fast forward a bit. A rift grows between Beckett and Henry. Beckett uses the power that he didn't want in the first place to make religious decisions that Henry doesn't like. Beckett uses the church to undermine Henry. Henry tries to make amends with Beckett a few times. We'll see. Henry is a very forgiving man. He does want to work things out even when he is having beef with his friends and family. Empress Matilda is like, I told you so. I warned you not to give this guy nice things. The Henry and Beckett conflict drags on for years. Um, Empress Matilda dies in 1167, as it is ongoing. Eleanor, for the most part, wants to be excluded from the narrative and leaves it up to Henry to sort through his Beckett drama. King Louis gets involved at one point and offers Beckett protection in France, despite Henry. This is one of Louis's favorite moves to go to. Whenever someone is having beef with Henry, Louis is like, hey, you want to come to France? Um, Henry has the Archbishop of York, the Bishop of London, and the Bishop of Salis- Sal- Salisbury crowned Henry the Young King to acknowledge him as his successor in June of 1170. Coronation was a privilege that was supposed to belong only to the Archbishop of Canterbury, aka Becket. so he responds by excommunicating the Archbishop and two bishops as punishment. Henry then supposedly said something that was then interpreted by some of his men as wishing Becket killed. Exactly what he said is unclear. We've got a bit of a game of telephone here, but likely it was something along the lines of, will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? Another much more dramatic version was, what miserable drones and traitors have I nourished and brought up in my household, who let their lord be treated with such shameful contempt by a low-born cleric? Sure, he was complaining about Beckett, but did he really mean it? Likely not. Four of Henry's knights apparently didn't understand exaggeration and set off to confront Becket. On December 29th, 1170, they arrived at Canterbury and met Beckett inside the cathedral. Beckett was rightfully suspicious of them, especially after they whipped out their swords and ran around yelling, where is Thomas Becket, traitor to the king and country? Beckett obviously tries to hide when this is happening, um, but the knights grabbed him and then rather violently murdered him. Now, obviously, this is not a good look. You don't murder an archbishop, and you definitely don't murder an archbishop in the church. While Henry didn't directly command his knights to do this, he obviously still took the blame for it. Everyone knew that Henry and Beckett had beef. It was a logical jump that Henry may have ordered Beckett's murder. Beckett would be seen as a martyr and gain sainthood for this, while Henry's reputation was tarnished. And that's the Thomas Beckett ordeal. Again, Eleanor wasn't really a part of the story, but the impact of the murder of Beckett on Henry's reputation as king is worth noting. I also felt like if I didn't talk about him at all, someone would take offense to it, since he was a big part of Henry's life and became a saint. Um, later on, we'll see that some of Henry's children even, like, you know, focus on this saint of St. Thomas Beckett, um, and, like, tributes to him in the church and stuff. So um, he continues to be an important part of the family. And like, they kind of like retake the narrative or like change it and make, make him their saint, even though like their dad is kind of responsible for his death. So it's, it's it's very complicated and interesting. Um, so we need to cover it, but that's enough about Beckett back to Eleanor's story. The year is 1173. Tensions have been continuing to brew between Henry the Second and Henry, the young King. Um, I'm going to keep saying Henry, the young King or young Henry to blame the difference between the two, make it clear. So Henry II, dad, Henry, the young King or young Henry is the son. Um, and you'll note that I'm not calling him Henry III. So keep that in mind. In 1169, Henry II had signed the Treaty of Montmirail, which established how his lands were to be divided amongst his sons. Henry, the young King, the eldest would get England, Normandy and Anjou. Richard, the next oldest and Eleanor's favorite, would get Aquitaine, which was still a vassal state of the French crown. So part of Henry's empire, but it answers to the French crown um, more so than to Henry. Geoffrey would get Brittany as he was going to marry the heir to Brittany, Constance, and would be a vassal of Henry. At this point, the plan was still for John to join the church, so that's why he is not included All the boys are starting to want more autonomous power over their lands, but especially the young king, since so far he's been given the least authority, despite being the heir. Eleanor takes their side in this. While there is discontent brewing with all of Henry's sons, as far as he was concerned, the young king was the ringleader causing all the trouble, so Henry was just focusing on him. So while all the boys were joining in on this, again, it was mostly coming from young Henry because... His other brothers were getting a little bit more authority over their lands. He felt like he was the one really getting the short end of the stick. In March of 1173, Henry has decided that he's going to deal with attention by making sure that the young king is not let out of his sight. Always a great parenting idea. When your kid is annoyed with you, force them to be with you all the time. Father and son go to stay at Chignon, and because the Henrys are glued together, whether they like it or not, Henry II insists they sleep in the same room. This plan backfires though, Henry is a sleepier, uh, it, Henry is a heavier sleeper than he realized, and during the night, the young king slips out of the room, convinces the guards to lower the drawbridge, and escapes. Henry wakes to find his son gone, and soon discovers that the young king has fled to France to seek refuge with Henry's old nemesis, Louis. One thing I love about Eleanor's story is how connected the two families continue to be after Eleanor and Louis' divorce. Of course the royal families of france and england were bound to be connected regardless either as friends or enemies at any given time but i just love that when henry's sons want to piss him off they go to their mom's ex-husband as we move into the next generation we'll see some bromances between the boys and louis son philip and sometimes some frenemy relationships again keep in mind the young king is also married to margaret Louis's daughter so louis is both young henry's father-in-law his mom's ex-husband and the father of his half-sisters. I got distracted by our complicated family tree for a moment there, but back to the drama. Henry sends a letter to Louis via some bishops, trying to get Louis to make young Henry come home and resolve their issues. Now, we get some of the most famous quotes from this time period, and a conversation that I adore for its drama. After the bishops give Louis the message, he replies, Who was it that sends this message to me? The bishops are confused by why Louis even needs to ask this and reply, the king of England? Now, this is Louis's moment to shine. That is not so, he retorts. The king of England is here. But if you still call king his father, who was formerly king of England, know that he is no longer king. Although he may still act as king, all the world knows that he resigned his kingdom to his son. What a medieval diss. Louis isn't entirely wrong either, since Henry did insist on crowning young Henry during his lifetime, which is actually a French tradition. Um, So in a way, he had already resigned his kingdom to his son, as Louis said. Henry just hadn't followed through on actually giving young Henry any authority. The coronation was just symbolic. So the boys are in France, but Eleanor is still in Poitiers. Around the beginning of May, she becomes convinced that she would be safer in France with her sons under the roof of her ex-husband, who probably is still salty towards her, but also would rather put up with her if it means making Henry mad. At this point, Eleanor is the lesser of two evils to Louis. Eleanor dresses as a man to try to disguise herself and avoid capture, but it's not very convincing, and she gets captured and arrested. Up until this point, Henry had trusted Eleanor, when he disbanded her court as punishment for her betrayal, some of the most important young women in their kingdom have been staying in Eleanor's charge, including Margaret slash Marguerite, the future wife of young Henry. Um, they might actually be married at this point. I haven't checked. Um, her sister, Alice, who was betrothed to Richard, which is a story for another day. Although I will mention her again, um, in this episode, but anyways, we'll come back to Alice and Richard and that whole ordeal. Um, more when we talk about Richard's queen, um, next woman in Eleanor's court, uh, Henry's illegitimate sister Emma of Anjou, and also Joanna slash Joan, Henry and Eleanor's youngest daughter. Um, Henry keeps Eleanor's whereabouts a secret for the next year or so. This is the final nail in the coffin for Henry and Eleanor's relationship. Henry is a fairly forgiving man. We'll see he continues to forgive his sons even as they continue to rebel against him. But once you break his trust. That's it. For the, rest of Henry's re- for the rest of Henry's life, Eleanor remains imprisoned to some extent. The days of him relying on her help are gone. Once Eleanor is locked away, Henry begins to live openly with his long-term mistress, Rosamund de Clifford. We talked about her briefly in part one. There are a lot of rumors surrounding Rosamund and Henry's relationship, as well as how Eleanor felt about Rosamund. One of my personal favorites comes from a 14th century French chronicle, which said that Eleanor murdered Rosamond. Eleanor allegedly stripped Rosamond of her ground, roasted her naked between two fires, and then, either before or after the roasting, put venomous toads on Rosamond's breasts, causing her to bleed to death in a hot bath. There's a lot going on there. Um, I'm not sure in what specific order these things were supposed to have happened, and altogether, it seems a bit excessive. Do you need to both roast a woman and apply venomous toads to her body? Did Eleanor have a collection of venomous toads for the sole purpose of applying to the breasts of her enemies? Other major glaring flaws of the story, the queen was listed as Eleanor of Provence, not Eleanor of Aquitaine. Eleanor of Provence was the granddaughter-in-law of Eleanor of Aquitaine, definitely not the same woman. Uh, Additionally, the date of the murder was listed as 1262, so almost 100 years later. This would have been within the lifetime of Eleanor of Provence, but obviously she wasn't time-traveling to murder the mistress of her husband's grandfather, who was very dead by 1262. Unfortunately, because Henry was dealing with imprisoning Eleanor so discreetly, there's not a ton of record of what her life was like during this time, or what she was up to. It seems like she was confined mostly at Winchester. While she was a prisoner, she was treated well. She may have been com- she may have been completely cut off from the outside world, but her general standard of living did not change. Henry wasn't trying to torture her for her involvement in the rebellion or make her feel any remorse by making her live a life of poverty. You could think of it more like a house arrest. Since there isn't much to say about what Eleanor was doing during this time, I'll talk a little about how the rebellion went. It wasn't terribly surprising for Henry to have a falling out with his eldest son. Some might have even seen it as inevitable. Young Henry was bound to get frustrated by the constraints that had been put upon him and a hunger for more power eventually. What was more surprising was that Richard and Geoffrey also joined in on the rebellion, siding with their older brother. At this point in time, young Henry is around 18, Richard is 15, and Geoffrey is 14. It's crazy to think of a couple of teenage boys trying to rise up in rebellion against their father like this, but at the same time, Henry himself had been a young teenager when he had tried to lead an invasion against King Stephen, and had ended up then needing Stephen to pay his bills. At least Henry's rebelling sons didn't then come to him asking for him to pay for their soldiers. With all of the boys rebelling together, they were able to gather Anglo-Norman, Norman, Norman, Angevin. Waterbin and Breton magnates to join them. They would come very close to success. One of my favorite dramatic moments is when they recruit William the Lion, the King of Scotland, who was a man so hated by Henry II that the very mention of his name was once said to have sent Henry into spasms of rage as he thrashed about on the floor of his bedchamber, eating the straw from his mattress. We won't say much else about William the Lion beyond this, but I love this detail too much not to share. Let's pause for a moment and picture a grown man having a hissy fit over hearing another man's name. A hissy fit to the point that he starts to eat his own mattress. Very dignified, kingly behavior, Henry. The revolt lasts for about 18 months before Henry finally squashes the rebellion and the boys return to him. Henry forgives, but doesn't forget. In 1175 Henry may have tried to have his marriage with Eleanor annulled so he was free to remarry his intended bride is a whole new scandal this isn't Rosamund de Clifford of the fire roasting rumors but Alice the 18-year-old betrothed of Richard Henry and Alice have a lengthy and murky history again i want to save that for when we're history- when we're focusing on the wife and other love interests of richard but yikes henry We'll fast forward a few years to the fall of 1180. Louis dies at the age of 60 on September 18th, 1180, after a long illness and several paralyzing strokes. His 15 year old son, Philip, was crowned as co king a year before Louis' death and now became King Philip II. Again, we'll see Philip and Henry's sons have a close and complicated relationship. Philip is younger than young Henry, Richard, and Geoffrey, being just a few months older than John, the baby of the family. Elnor probably wasn't too upset about the death of Louis, although he had at times been an ally for her and her sons, but it was probably a reminder of her own mortality, as the pair hadn't been that far apart in age. Elnor, however, still continues to survive and later thrive for several more decades. In 1183, things start to change. In less positive news for the year, the young king decides to rebel against his father again. The young king is in debt and has been refused control of Normandy, so he tries to ambush Henry II. Geoffrey and Philip send troops to support him, but their joint efforts fail. Henry II's army proves to be superior again and forces the young king into retreat. While wandering, young Henry gets dysentery. Things are clearly not going well. He sees that death is coming and wants to reconcile with his father. He sends word to Henry that he's dying, but Henry thinks it's a trap and doesn't believe it. He sends a ring in response rather than showing up in person and potentially getting ambushed if it is, in fact, a trap. As he is dying, the young king begs that Henry show more remorse to Eleanor, which is nice. This shows his loyalty to his mother and how much he loved her, that as he was actively dying, his primary concern was her treatment in the future. Despite everything that has happened between the two of them, Henry II is devastated when he finds out that his son has died. Henry and Eleanor's relationship does begin to improve, in July, Henry allows her to visit some of her dower lands in Normandy. A trip that she eagerly takes him up on. She finally gets to get out and travel again, and I'm sure this, that this was a welcome relief after the loss of her son. Um, we've also seen before and will continue to see that traveling to her lands, rallying support. These are some of the things that Eleanor does best. Eleanor spends six months in Normandy and then returns to England in early 1184. For the next few years, Eleanor now gets to travel with Henry again. It may be like when Henry insisted on keeping the young king with him, but at least it's a form of reconciliation, and it means that Eleanor gets to get out of the house. Henry doesn't allow Eleanor to have a political say, but she's back at his side at least. The next several years are relatively calm now that there's no young Henry to lead any uprisings. I guess in a way, Henry II wasn't wrong in saying that young Henry was the problem. His other sons held his other sons hold their tongues once their big brother is gone. However, the relationship between Henry and Richard finally becomes violent in November 1188. Now that Richard is the heir, now he is going to start being the one that has issues with how Henry is ruling things. The two are attending a peace conference being held by King Philip of France. For one thing, Alice and Richard are still betrothed. Alice is Philip's sister, so he's been begging Henry to have the two get married already for years. Henry won't move forward with this, since again, he may have had his his own eyes on Alice still, and he also won't announce Richard as his recognized heir, even though that was the plan. Richard is infuriated by this, and to get back at Henry, formally gives homage to Philip in front of the assembled nobles. Henry develops a bleeding ulcer. Henry and Richard begin to battle. It's becoming clear that Henry is dying. Henry, Richard, and Philip meet again. Henry agrees to a complete surrender. Says Alice and Richard will finally marry, he will recognize Richard as his heir, and Philip gets some money in castles. Nothing really comes from this, though, since Henry is on death's door. He is carried away and then is informed that John had sided with Richard in the conflict. Richard was always Eleanor's favorite son, while John was Henry's, so hearing this news was too much for the dying Henry to handle. Henry dies on July 6, 1189, at the age of 56. His attendants would steal all of his personal effects after his death, including the clothes he wore, which I don't think I'd have any interest in, considering the man had had a deadly bleeding ulcer. They didn't understand sanitation and germ theory the way we do today, obviously, but still, you would think there would have been an ick factor. This is the end of Henry's story, but not the end for Eleanor, who lives for another 15 years after Henry's death. This is the end of her second reign as queen, though. When Henry dies, Richard assumes the throne. Eleanor gains more power and control than she'd had in decades, as Richard relies heavily on her advice and authority. Eleanor's story continues through the reigns of Richard, then John, but I want to keep her episodes dedicated to her time as queen rather than queen mother. That said, I will keep talking about her and what she was up to over the course of the next two episodes about the queens of Richard and John. Their wives were limited in their power, uh, partially because so much of it was given to Eleanor. She was much more of the co-ruler with both of her sons than their own wives were. Um, So there's just as much to say about what Eleanor was doing during Richard and John's reigns as their wives, if not more, um, especially with Berengaria. As I mentioned in our last episode, my plan is to mention a Patreon with bonus episodes, the first of which are going to cover the lives of Eleanor's daughters with Louis, Marie, and Alex or Alice, um, Eleanor's daughters with Henry, Matilda, Eleanor slash Lenore, and Joan slash Joanna, and then Eleanor's two daughter-in-laws who were never a queen themselves, Margaret slash Marguerite, and Constance, who were the wives of young Henry and Geoffrey. We're looking at three bonus episodes to cover them all, although some will be shorter than others. Um, Like for example, with the two French princesses, um, there's not as much known about what Alex slash Alice did during her life as there is with Marie. Um, So it's a bit more focused on Marie. I'm thinking I may publish partial versions of these episodes to our normal listening platforms as teasers. um, So be on the lookout for that. I'm hoping to have the first bonus episode out next Tuesday, April 25th for the foreseeable future. The plan is to keep up official episodes, um, every other Tuesday. And then in between put up a bonus episode on Patreon. We'll see how long I can keep this up for though. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our two-parter on Eleanor of Aquitaine. I've enjoyed putting them together. Eleanor lived such a long and rich life full of drama, complicated family dynamics, and fabulous names like Dangerosa and Petronilla. I had to get one more Dangerosa in there. Stay tuned for our Daughters of Eleanor bonus episodes and our official episode on Berengaria, um, the Queen of Richard. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe to the podcast, and check out the podcast Instagram, yasqueens.podcast. Until next time.